kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Monday night, a little bit after six, and welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. Um, with me right now is the best producer money can't buy, which is good because I don't pay him. Hi, Very. How are you? We missed you terribly last week. It was bad. Yeah, blame my internet company. Yeah. Oh, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying it got to <laughs> no, a point I'm where I was sitting there company. trying to pronounce something cursing you. <laughs> Yeah, my my internet was going haywire last week, so I didn't have it on the Tuesday either. I built a new desk instead. (laughs) Hey, you built the desk. Yeah. Okay, I'm trying to figure, I don't, God, what did I do last Tuesday? Now, I I threw two trucks by myself and then I came home and passed out. Yeah, it was a normal day for me. Um... (laughs) I didn't have near as much fun as you did, I guess. Um, yeah, Jeannie is going to be along in a little while, and I guess we'll hear from Alex about seven-ish or so. So I, should I just pick something and jump right into it? I, I saw something that reminded me of you, Barry. Oh, dear. Oh, no, no, no. It, it, it's really not bad. It was a story about how this one Tory won a seat because somebody drew a big penis uh, in the box next to his name and they were saying actually a whole bunch of the Tories won their seats because those were counted as actual votes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh there's um, all sorts of dirty tricks apparently this election. Yeah well um, they were saying that um, one, one of the people who had counted all of the paper ballots said there's a record number of prick drawings on the ballot box papers. One person drew a prick in every box. So I, I'm guessing we can call it the dick pick election. Yeah. Uh, but the the high points there were high points, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. The low point is we now have conservative government, and they can do what they like because it's a majority. So you know, <laughs> austerity uh, just got worse. You know, here <laughs> here's the funny thing. I keep telling people the solution to the problem is to not play. Because yeah. majority rule means, you know, somebody's getting trampled on. But 
you know, the crux of it all is it's no matter who gets in, it's sort of a predestined thing. You know, you'll never get anybody they don't want you to have, unfortunately. And I mean, that's the long and short of it. Um, Some are better than others. Yeah, the high points were the ones who didn't get in. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Esther McVeigh, up and coming darling of the Conservative Party, lost her seat. Mm -hmm. Uh, she's the woman who brought in the charming bedroom tax, if you know about that. Oh, that bit. Somebody just needs to shoot her. Yeah. Um, well, she didn't get re-elected, <laughs> funnily enough, because, well, she pissed off a Everybody. two-thirds of the country. Um, <laughs> George Galloway, the infamous George Galloway, lost his seat. Good. He's a slimy <laughs> bastard. Um, uh, what was the other one? Oh, Nigel Farage, of course, uh, didn't win. (laughs) And has resigned as UKIP leader. That's yes, it's like Night of the Long Knives, (laughs) because the Labour leader resigned, the Lib Dem leader resigned, the UKIP leader resigned. Well, I mean, you know... Because they all made promises that they didn't keep. Well, a lot of people do. When you looked at... And I have nothing against UKIP, I think... There's a voice out there that needs to be out there for, you know, secession from the EU. Okay. There's a group of people that want that representation. Um, But when I, economically, when I looked at some of the things that UKIP promised, there was no way in hell they could keep those promises, which is just like the same sort of crap we're going to be hearing here for the next couple of years. in the run-up to the election, there were some nice videos of Farage from a few years ago uh, at conferences saying things (laughs) like, well, you know, the health service is a problem. We need to change it over to some sort of insurance system, you know, like the US. (laughs) And then when it came to the election and people went, "Uh, you're going to try and sell the NHS. And he's like, no, 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 I've changed my mind, honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we're keeping um, it free, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't really work. Um, yeah. So I was thinking, can you see where my cursor is? Yeah, uh, hang Here. on. It's, it should be highlighted in blue. Yes. Okay. I'm thinking, we talk an awful lot about money on this show, and we talk about money for a reason. Uh, we don't, generally speaking, get enough of our own. Whatever we put into taxation, we don't really get anything out of, although allegedly we do. Um, this pissed me off <laughs> a lot. This upset me a lot. So I'm going to start, and I'm going to read it, and you know, uh, hopefully you'll agree with me. Obama cabinet official, most of the relief money to Iran won't fund terrorism. That is Treasury Secretary Jack Lew acknowledged that large sums of money will be given to Iran as part of sanctions relief, adding that most of it won't directly fund terrorism operations in the Middle East. Speaking at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy's 30th anniversary gala last week, Lew alluded to the sanctions relief process and state-funded terrorism concerns, saying... Many Americans and many of our closest allies are understandably concerned that Iran will use the money it receives as a result of sanctions relief to fund terrorism and support destabilizing proxies throughout the Middle East. Lou continued, adding that the Obama administration shares those concerns. He also insisted that the administration will maintain sanctions that specifically address these terroristic activities. 
Lou assured the attendees that most of the relief money given to Iran will not fund terrorism. Quote, but it's important to note that the connection between nuclear sanctions relief and Iran's other malign activities is complicated, and most of the money Iran receives from sanctions relief will not be used to support those activities. During Lou's remarks, he said Iran will be under enormous pressure to improve its domestic economy, adding that funding terrorism is a relatively small part of Iran's budget. However, not everyone is buying Lou's statement. Mark Dubowitz, executive director for the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, spoke to Bloomberg's Josh Rogan about the the effort to give Iran relief money. Dubowitz said, when you give bad people money, when you give bad people bad money, they use it for bad things. This week, Secretary of State John Kerry voiced his dissatisfaction with the, quote, hysteria over the nuclear deal with Iran. Kerry insisted that inspectors will have access every single day. Well, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> the fact that they know not <laughs> only a small part of the money will be used. <laughs> no, no. If any of it's going to be used to fund terrorism, forget exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, if if they if they are funding terrorists, don't give them any money. It's as simple as that. Well, I mean, now that's a simple solution, but yeah. our treasury director and our president aren't behind that at all. Yeah. They're all like, well, we should fund terroristic countries. It's so bad that when we got involved with Syria, yeah. um, You're we were actually all funding Syria. It's crazy. Well, well, we funded you're IS funding to fight, everyone um, but As- Assad. Yeah. But that's okay, Assad's being funded by the Russians. Mm, so it's perfect. It's it's war by proxy. Yeah. <sighs> uh, Although it's not a new thing. Yeah. I know it's not a new thing, but it's the, just The U.S. has a history of giving money to terrorists. <laughs> well, right, but it's never been so open before. I mean, we used to at least what pretend. You, more you know open? what I mean? We used to pretend to draw a curtain over the corruption. Now it's like we're in the Wizard of Oz, the man behind the curtain is exposed, and everybody can see him, and he's totally naked, and nobody cares. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Well, the, yeah, the, the openness of, of terrorist funding... Uh, were you familiar with what used to go on in the seventies and eighties in Chicago oh, and bars yeah. with the yeah. IRA? Mm-hmm. Guys going about with money boxes like it was a charity. <laughs> it's like okay. Yeah. The British government complained a lot, but the American government's <laughs> like, eh, so what? Huh? Nothing to do with us. We don't know what's going on. What's your problem? <laughs> yeah. Well this is just I mean, more of the same ridiculousness, I guess, you could expect from a very entrenched, very corrupt government. Hi, we're giving money to the people that sponsor state-sponsored terrorism. No worries. Everyone will be fine. It's a bit different from, you know, buying cookies from (laughs) Girl Scouts. (laughs) Buying cookies from cops. I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. That one just left a bad taste in my mouth. So, yep, your taxpayer dollars, like you didn't know it, are going to fund Iran. Hooray. Well, yeah, only a small bit will get used for terrorism, so no worries. What? Our government do the same, but they keep it much more quiet. See, when when the coalition decided to attack um, Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. the British government had to do something really quite hilarious, right? (laughs) So they sent a recall notice 
to certain operatives in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. The said operatives uh, came back to their base in India right. and then got sent back to Afghanistan to do some hunting. <laughs> <laughs> These guys were SAS. They were in there training Hezbollah guys. Um, got back to their go base back. in India and got told to go back into Afghanistan and shoot the guys they'd just been training. <laughs> Why did they bother pulling them out? Why didn't they just order them? Destroy all the camps you're in right now. <laughs> but no, 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 no. Apparently, apparently, that's not the 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 sportsmanlike British way. The... <laughs> that's not the proper procedure, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I think this one is pretty hilarious too. Now, I think this one is pretty hilarious too. Oh, feedback. Hmm. Hmm. That was me, of course. Okay. Hi, Jeannie. How are you? I am tired. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I feel bad for you. So, you get dinner all made? Did you get to eat? No. No. Supper's oh. done, but I did not eat. No. But I'm here. Okay, well, you missed the fun story about us giving money to Iran, but only some of it will fun- will sponsor state-funded terrorism, not all of it. So yeah, I heard I heard about three quarters of that. Um, I just had everything muted, and I hadn't logged into VP Live. And the minute I logged into VP Live, the player fed back. So I'm sorry, everybody. No worries. So does everybody know who Cory Brooker is? Yes. Okay. No. <laughs> no, that's okay. I don't know about everybody, but that's one of the few people I do know who the hell it is. Okay, well, um, he has a, a new idea for how we should fight terrorism. Oh dear, this doesn't sound good. Uh, senators want to blow ISIS out of the water with quote-unquote fancy memes. Lawmakers despairing over the Islamic State's success in recruiting would-be terrorists on social media proposed on Thursday that the U.S. government create more viral memes, possibly with Hollywood's help. There's an obvious piece of legislation that we need to start working on, Senator Ron Johnson, Republican of Wisconsin, said during a Homeland Security Committee meeting on Jihad 2.0. Let's face it, we have invented the Internet. We invented the social network sites. We've got Hollywood. We've got the capabilities to blow these guys out of the water from the standpoint of communications. Senator Cory Brooker, Democrat, New Jersey, backed his colleague's appeal. Look at the fancy memes compared to what we're not doing, Brooker said, displaying examples of jihadist online postings. Brooker is a prolific user of Twitter and a former viral sensation in his own right as mayor of Newark. He said he knows something about memes and added that there are many easy tactics, um, how to get more voice, virility, to messaging that we're not using as a government. Instead, he lamented that the U.S. is spending millions and millions of dollars on old-school forms of media like Voice of America, which is allowed to broadcast us, goddammit, sorry. Senator Kelly Iote, Republican of New Hampshire, said that the private sector could play a greater role in working with the government in any counter-recruitment initiative. Also at the hearing, Peter Bergen a senior New American Foundation national security expert testified in favor of more lenient treatment for would-be fighters who reverse course before fully committing themselves. 
He noted that Muslim families who see a son or daughter radicalizing online are deterred from reporting the matter to the FBI out of fear he or she will be thrown in jail for more than a decade. If somebody is not actually indicted for a potential act of terrorism, but merely trying to go to Syria, we should be thinking about off-ramps that aren't 15 years in prison, Bergen said. So, uh, yeah. So, the way to fight ISIS, more memes. Um, but, see, and the most terrifying thing about this, Jan, yes. is that some dumbass that sits in Washington, D.C., and makes decisions over my life mm-hmm. actually thinks that memes are a good plan of action. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. That's why I'm getting me. Uh, yeah. Somebody thought so. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah this somebody is the, thought that the was a super good idea. intelligent yeah, reaction, isn't it? <laughs> we'll meme them. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't really work. Well, you know, you expect, and I don't know why we expect it. I mean, we elect these jackasses. We know what they're really like, but we expect them to at least sound semi sort of intelligent when they're speaking. But, you know, (laughs) adding virility to memes, what the fuck? Do you think maybe that it had something to do with what happened in Garland? You know, if a cartoon contest cause that maybe memes will just incite ISIS to the extent that they all blow themselves up? <laughs> um, maybe. I, I just that whole Garland thing that was kind of poking the bear but um, I, I don't know. Just doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me and I don't understand the context it was in even watching the video that was that went along with this piece from The Intercept. I was still like just baffled. This is what they think a good idea is. This is how we're going to fight terrorism. We're going to have Hollywood make anti-ISIS memes. Okay. Yeah. There's there's always some. It's probably somebody who's. Does he have? Do they have shares in media companies? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> that's why. That's why they're going. Yeah, yeah. We need to fund uh, these media people. Yeah. We need to fund meme making, really? Because I know some people who could have a pretty nice freaking career with that. Um, well, you know, <laughs> memes don't work right as propaganda. Look what happened with California and their little campaigns with <laughs> e cigs. Um, yes, that worked out well, didn't it? That's what I'm saying. I know people. I know people who could have a very lucrative career if the government were paying for that. So, uh, speaking of California, somebody was saying today, I had linked to a story about um, these warnings that we're going to have to go on e-liquid bottles in California, <laughs> saying that nicotine causes cancer. And somebody said, well, how come nicotine only causes cancer in California? And my answer was, well, California must be run by a wizard. It's like Hogwarts. No, no, everything no. causes cancer uh, in California. No, I've said I've this over you. and over and over again. Yeah, I keep I've, telling I've, everybody I know that lives there they need to leave because everything causes cancer there. Yeah, I'm, I, I've been saying for a while that the whole of California must be carcinogenic. <laughs> I think it. I think it's the state. It's not the stuff because that stuff is fine everywhere else in the world. Yeah, but in California, it causes cancer. 
Well, California more, is the only common denominator here, so it must be California. Also, <laughs> more of these uh, exploding battery incidents happen in California than anywhere else. Well, that tells you either people don't know what they're doing there or, yeah, it's just... I, I, think, it, I think it might be something to do with uh, tectonic plates and, you know, batteries are just more unstable in California. Well, it might, they might just be cursed. Yeah. <laughs> they've got they've got Stan the mechanic there, so I, I you know, completely think they're cursed. <laughs> well, I, you know what's wrong with him? It's all the cancer in California. That's what's wrong <laughs> with him, Jan. I don't and think he's that's what's and wrong he's with obviously him. eaten everything there is to eat in the state of California. So <laughs> a lot of that stuff is probably on the, the prop sixty five and you know, I mean he's he's just full of cancer. Well, he is. I mean, he's, he he's, wandering, he's wandering about releasing formaldehyde everywhere. Which, according <laughs> to him, is, you know, lethally dangerous to humans. He's lethally dangerous, dangerous to humans. Well, not yes. to humans, but to common sense. He's lethally dangerous to common sense. So, did anybody else see the cactus story? No. No, no ma'am. Okay. Because, gee, this is fun. Residents of Paradise Valley, Arizona, were being denied answers on why decoy cacti containing surveillance cameras have been installed all over their town. <laughs> After persistent questioning, town leaders finally admitted that the cameras are license plate readers, which will cross-check license plates against a hot list database. Town manager Kevin Burke spoke to a local news station and claimed that the spying cacti will not be activated until privacy and data retention concerns have been addressed. Shouldn't that have been vetted before they even went up, our reporter asked. To which Burke replied by saying, it's probably a fair, uh, it is probably fair. I think this is a technology that we're learning about. So every time you think we're okay, have everything covered, someone else brings up a new idea. Because privacy, your privacy, your digital liberty, as it were, is a new idea. Uh, it's appropriate to use license plate scanners to check for wanted vehicles, but the technology should never be used to store databases of the movements of vehicles that are not on any hot lists, ACLU senior policy analyst Jay Stanley and ACLU legal assistant Brent Stein wrote in a blog entry. It violates the longstanding tenet that the government not monitor citizens unless it has individualized suspicion of involvement in wrongdoing, they added. The city claims that the cameras are not being embedded in the cacti to be secretive, but rather to be aesthetically pleasing. The town currently had the same technology installed on traffic lights in February and were secretive about it then as well. The cameras are being funded by a $2 million technology upgrade that passed through the city council last year. It is unclear if it is a Department of Homeland Security is helping to fund these readers as they have in other cities so they've gotten a grant and no one knows who gave them the grant they can't unravel who gave these people the grant and that's and, and they can't figure out if we've got all the bases covered because yeah um you know privacy is a new idea do you yeah. did you know that privacy is a new idea <laughs> i, I new take idea. it there's going to be uh an increase of incidents of cacti being chainsawed down in that town. 
Yes, but they're aesthetically pleasing cacti. The best part about this whole thing is if they had actually been using live cactus, they could have got up to four years in jail for it. So they had to bring in dummy cactus to do this because it, it violates their own law. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, and 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 if if the if the fake cacti are anywhere as convincing as the fake trees that are cell phone towers, then yeah, they're going to be easy to see. Mm. Well, they are easy to see. There's actually a picture of them. There's actually video too from a report online. Um, okay. Um, Department of Homeland Security has been working on a database aimed at tracking known license plate numbers associated with aliens for immigration enforcement priorities and to monitor where and when the vehicle has traveled within a specific period of time in at least 25 states, according to government officials speaking to NextGov. As we learned from investigative reporters who have attempted to obtain data on license plate readers from Los Angeles and Philadelphia, each and every car owner whose vehicle's license plate has had the misfortune of being scanned by license plate readers is under investigation. You are all guilty of a crime. Any reporter who puts in a public records request is immediately denied, citing that every scan is part of an active investigation while maintaining they're not violating the rights of American citizens as a license plate has no reasonable expectation of privacy. There's nothing in this for citizens. If license plate data has no expectation of privacy, the police should have no problem with turning over anonymized data, much less records pertaining directly to the requester. But the law enforcement community continues to use a double standard that allows it to circumvent the annoyance of limiting itself to pertinent data while maintaining a wall of opacity to further distance the public from all the data it's gathering on them, Tim Crushing wrote in Tech Dirt last year. Sounds about right. Yeah. Double standards, yes. That's normal for this sort of thing. Fantastic. So, that's new. <laughs> so, they're, they're, they're not content with just putting them in traffic lights. Now, now they want cactus. Cactus, traffic lights, you know, wherever. Outside your driveway, if they could get away with it, I guess, in your mailbox. <laughs> that motorcycle's not here. No, that that was here. Yeah. Okay. Because that wasn't here. Yeah, my, my sirens might be me, but the motorcycle, no. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, I'm, uh, I'm out in the giggly weeds here, so if it's here, that's shocking to me. Just be thankful we don't do the show about two hours later. <laughs> Because then you start getting the freight trains coming through where I live. Nice. I'm quarter of a mile from the tracks, but they're damn wow. big trains. So we're actually doing this at the optimal time then? Probably, yes. Okay. So this is from The Intercept. This is written by Lee Fang. This won't shock anybody at all. Congress tells court that Congress can't be investigated for insider trading. In a little notice brief filed last summer, lawyers for the House of Representatives claimed that an SEC investigation of congressional insider trading should be blocked on principle because lawmakers and their staff are constitutionally protected from such inquiries given the unique nature of their work. The legal team, led by Kerry W. Kircher, who was appointed House General Counsel by Speaker John Boner, in 2011, claimed that the insider trading probe violated the separation of powers between the legislative and executive branch. 
In 2012, members of Congress patted themselves on the back for passing the Stack Act, a bill meant to curb insider trading for lawmakers and their staff. We all know that Washington is broken, and today members of both parties took a big step forward to fix it, (laughs) said Representative Bill Johnson, Republican from Ohio, upon passage of the law. But as the SEC Commission made news with the first major investigation of political insider trading, Congress moved to block the inquiry. The SEC investigation focused on how Brian Sutter, then a staffer for the House Ways and Means Committee, allegedly passed along information about an upcoming Medicare decision to a lobbyist who then shared the tip with other firms. Many hedge funds used the insider tip to trade on health insurance stocks that were affected by a soon-to-be-announced Medicare decision calling the SEC's inquiry, quote, a remarkable fishing expedition for congressional records. Kircher and his team claimed that the SEC had no business issuing a subpoena to Sutter and his team. And his team. Communications with lobbyists, of course, are a normal and routine part of committee information gathering. The brief continued, arguing that there is room for the SEC to inquire into the committees or, mis- oh, I'm sorry, there is no room for the SEC to inquire into the committee or to Mr. Sutter's purpose or motives. Wall Street investors routinely hire specialized political intelligence lobbyists in Washington to get insider knowledge of major government decisions so that they may make trades using the information. But little is known about the mechanics of political intelligence lobbying, which falls outside the scope of traditional lobbying law and therefore does not show up in mandatory lobbying disclosure reports. There are occasional hints, though. Personal finance forms reveal that from July 2011 through May 2013, David Bertow served as a consultant to Height Analytics, the political intelligence firm at the center of the SEC's current probe. At the time of his work for Height Analytics, Bartow simultaneously worked as vice president for the Center for Strategic and International Studies, a prominent think tank in Washington. Bartow is now the assistant secretary for defense and of defense for logistics and material readiness. What a horrible name. Congressional travel forums show that on December 12, 2012, Emily Porter, at the time an employee of Boner's office, traveled to New York on a sponsored trip to meet with then JNK Securities for a group group lunch with business clients. According to the Wall Street Journal, J&K has emerged as one of the most aggressive political intelligence firms on Capitol Hill. It's hardly the first time Congress has moved to undermine its own ethics rules. In 2011, congressional Republicans quickly abandoned their promise to post the tax of bills online for at least three days before voting on them. So, shock and awe all around. Anybody? <laughs> they don't like being investigated. Who'd have no. thought? Eh? Don't look at me! I need to run the microscope over you, but don't look at me. They don't care about the don't look at me bit. It's the don't look at my money. (laughs) You know, laws are just for ordinary smelly people, not for the millionaires and trillionaires on Capitol Hill, apparently. But, Jan, the way they've got some of these laws written is just, it makes no sense to me, okay? Um, Like bankruptcy laws, for example. Donald Trump, <laughs> poor broke fella that he is. Um, well, look, look at the man has a caterpillar on his head. Yeah. Well, he filed bankruptcy on his casinos. I know he did. 
Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And, He's and with granted, yeah. a, a judge said, yes, you poor fella, you're unable to pay your bills. I'm going to allow this bankruptcy. Uh-huh. Um, okay, that makes lots of sense to me. <laughs> so well, next, next case in point, Jan, okay. Martha Stewart. <laughs> you tax evading bitch. You know what? Instead of, say, fining you ten times the amount you failed to pay, right. we're just going to put you in jail and let you keep all of the shit. Well, she didn't really technically get to keep it. She had to put it all in her daughter's name. Mm. Well, and that's what, you know, um, you 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 would remember the Adelphia Communications and John Regis. Um, they're here. They they live 16 miles from my house. Okay. Um, they own hundreds of thousands of acres. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this family was convicted of taking share, public shareholders' mm-hmm. money and funneling, funneling it into their personal lives and spending it on whatever they wanted. Basically, these hundreds of thousands of acres of land and houses and everything else they own. So what do they do? They put the little old man in jail, who, by the way, is actually really a nice guy. His kid's not so much, but, you know, I met John. He's a really nice guy. They put this old man in jail, who, by the way, they didn't even let out of jail to go to his wife's funeral. But the family kept all the fucking shit. It's like, this is, this, this is fair judgment. How the fuck does this stuff make sense? So the fact that Congress says it's okay for Congress to do inside trading is not fucking shocking to me at all, Jen. None of it. Not even remotely surprised. I mean, the rot goes goes right to the core with these people. Well, when you you look at um, papers relating to how many people have been actually convicted of insider trading, considering the quantity of insider trading that's been done, very few people have actually <laughs> been convicted. Well, I figure it's kind of like with um, I had I figure it's kind of like with, with some some illicit things that happen online um, and I wouldn't even say they're illegal, they're just considered illicit. Um when some of that gets done, there's a hierarchy. There's the people on the ground that, you know, you know are going to uh, take the fall. They don't know it. And then as it goes higher up, those people are insulated and protected. I think a lot of the people who have actually gone to jail for insider trading are are exactly like that. Yeah, they're, you know they're what I mean? fall guys, basically, usually. Yeah. So, the, the top executives who know what's going on—they they never go to jail. No, but I kind of did it last year. This is where I sound crazy. Last year, did we talk about the banker suicides? Yes, we did. Okay. Yep. My favorite. My favorite one was the guy who nail gunned himself in the head and heart. Um. It looked like he would be convicted of insider trading. And he was the top guy at his company. 
But yeah. Rather than allow that to happen, he took a nail gun to his own brain and his own heart. And I think a lot of the banker suicides are like that. I can't prove it, but I don't need to. Any company that's being investigated, seriously investigated, somebody is always winding up dead from that company. And then you never hear about these investigations again. So it's just funny how that goes. Okay. Let's see. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy, but it, uh, it is awfully convenient. Senators demand CIA boss admit he lied about hacking torture committee. It's one thing for the CIA to hack the Senate committee investigating Bush-era torture, but then-director John Brennan told a bald-faced lie under oath to the Senate Intelligence Committee about it. Now Democrats on the committee are calling on him to admit he lied, which seems pretty mild given that he oversaw the commissions of felonies, that were a thousand times worse than anything Aaron Swartz ever did. Um, and the prosecutors wanted to put Aaron in jail for 25 years for running a script that let him check lots of books out of the library and then perjured himself about it. That's Brennan initially denied accusations of hacking, but an investigation by a CIA inspector general showed that his denial was false. The CIA set up an outside review board chaired by former Senator Evan Baya, but the board's final report did not recommend any punishments for the employees who hacked into the Senate's computer systems. Brennan has not acknowledged any misconduct by CIA employees in the matter. It is virtually important for the American public to have confidence that the senior intelligence officials respect U.S. laws and the Constitution. I'm sorry including our democratic system of checks and balances, reads the letter from Senators Ron Wyden, Martin Heimrich, and Maisie Honorio. In our judgment, your handling of this matter has undermined the confidence. The letter continues. We call on you to acknowledge that the search was improper and commit that these unacceptable actions will not be repeated. So when you're a member of the senior intelligence community the worst thing that happens to you is congress writes you a nasty letter there's the letter i stuck in chat so that is the worst thing that will ever happen to you if you or i do something wrong what is the worst thing that happens to us we go to jail okay i can think of worse things than going to jail i could too I could Being think of stuck a lot in a room with Stan the mechanic, maybe. Well, gee, I was thinking CIA black sites, but uh, yeah, that's probably right about the same as being locked in a room with Stan the mechanic. So we'll go with that. I don't know, a black site's fine. It'd just be a bit of torture. <laughs> I don't think that's no. I guess it depends. Okay. It it depends on who's doing it, I guess. Um, here's a fun one. One in three jobs will be taken by software or robots in 2025. I think I want to go back to school and be an engineer. (laughs) (laughs) You can get a really important job then. Oh, yeah, I can. Yeah, then I can can step up and... Control X. I can, yeah, well, shit. They'll probably have robots running tobacco control by then. Then Fat Stan will really be upset. He'll be 
standing there in his puffy jacket. Respect my authority. Sorry. I was channeling South Park. I didn't mean to. Well, well, he, he might actually already be a robot. Have you not seen... Um, oh, what's the name of it? Just, um, Hero 6? No. <laughs> that, that robot's kind of the same shape as that particular... Um, <laughs> I swear it, Jan, I am going to have to sit down and watch one episode of, what was that cartoon you just talked about? South Park. That. I'm going to have to sit down and, you know, make myself watch one episode of this shit, because then maybe I won't be sitting here going, huh? You, if you watch one, make sure you watch the Toilet Safety Administration one. That one's pretty <laughs> topical. Is that the pretty one where they it. killed Kenny all the time? Yes. Okay. And I only they, know they killed Kenny all the time because my kid had a shirt on that said, Oh my god, they killed Kenny. Yeah. 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 Well And, and the good shirts had the other word on the back usually. Yes. What was the other one with the two idiots? Beavis and Butthead. Huh? Yeah, them. I don't think we've ever mentioned them. They're I they're not a friend that, that talks about them all the time and I'm like seriously okay. it wasn't even cartoonist I mean the, the cartoonist couldn't even draw when they did that show Mike Judge did a really good job with King of the Hill that, yeah. that might have been King of the Hill I, that's one thing I recommend if you want to watch something watch King of the Hill that's pretty good and watch didn't wasn't he responsible for the film Idiocracy yes I, I don't yeah. know I want to know what I'm oh watching oh my god you on the TV series, we're living it. Um, living it. I am. I am binge watching Sons of Anarchy from the beginning. <laughs> Orphan Black season three is quite good so far. I've. I'm all caught up on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel really weird when you guys talk about TV because I spend so much time <laughs> looking at like legislation and bringing down scientific papers that I really feel like I've. T- I have no frame of reference for most of this stuff. Yeah, oh, I although I did go to see, uh, I did go to see the uh, the new Avengers movie. Oh, Age of Ultron. Yeah, yeah, I have that here to watch. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet. Pretty good, actually. I am, but I don't really Avoid watch the it. Black Jan. Widow I have headphones in, and I'm listening to it while I'm doing other stuff. So. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Last week's episode of The Simpsons was great. Bart was vaping strawberry e-cigs. Oh, yeah. But I meant to watch that. Yeah. Bart's like 32 years old. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you. Yeah, well, it was it was mentioned, I think, in the film about the aging. Yeah. Come on, now. <laughs> let's, let's not pretend we live in the time warp. Okay. Well, how old could we do? Oh, shit, I don't know. But he's old and stoned, so he's kind of like... <laughs> Scooby Snacks. You have to yeah. now suspect what's in Scooby Snacks. Yeah. You know what was weird? Did anybody um, see that Puerto Rico legalized medical marijuana? But they outlawed like, smoking it. They there's, outlawed there's, smoking another it. Reason, there's another reason for us to move to Puerto Rico when my husband retires. <laughs> so the reason I brought up Puerto Rico is because I was talking about Captain America. So it wasn't actually, I was talking about the Avengers and, and I saw Captain America in his Avenger costume and I'm like, oh my God, he's Captain Puerto Rico. <laughs> but he is, he's Captain Puerto Rico. Look at his damn outfit. It's kind of funny if you think about it. Anyway. 
Sorry, had an ooh shiny moment. Those don't happen often enough, I think, for you guys. Because where was I? I didn't even get through like one sentence about robots <laughs> taking all our jobs. Well, Big Hero <laughs> Six. Shiny is, moments is, brought is, to you is, by Jeannie K. Thank you. Big, very Big Hero Six is is Stan. Yeah. Okay. If, if you don't get that reference, go watch the oh, film. Oh, yeah, no. Um, I know what you're talking about. That thing they have to patch it at the uh, the police station. I saw the ad for it. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 thing that's all you, you, it's like a blown up whatever the hell it is yeah ghost whatever that is big hero thing it's a medical robot apparently and I watched the, it's a very good film yeah. and it's inflatable yes okie dokie <laughs> it makes total sense I've never seen it so I don't know um so Hey, we almost got back to the subject. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Garthner. Okay. I guess this guy is like a guru. He predicts what's going to happen with emerging technologies. Garthner sees things like robots and drones replacing a third of all workers by 2025. And whether you want to believe it or not is entirely your business. This is Garthner being provocative, as he typically is at the start of a major U.S. conference, the Symposium IT Expo. Take drones, for instance. One day, a drone may be your eyes and ears, said Peter Sondgaard, Garthner's research director. In five years, drones will be a standard part of operations in many industries, used in agriculture, geographical surveys, and oil and gas pipeline inspections. Drones are just one of many kinds of emerging technologies that extend well beyond the traditional informational technology world. These are smart machines, said Sungard. Smart machines are an emerging superclass of technologies that perform a wide variety of work, both the physical and the intellectual kind, said Sungard. Machines, for instance, have been grading multiple choice tests for years, but now they're grading essays and unstructured text. This cognitive capability in software will extend to all other areas, including financial analysis, medical diagnostics, and data analytic jobs of all sorts, said Gardner. Knowledge work will be automated, said Sungard, as will physical jobs with the arrival of smart robots. Gardner predicts one in three jobs will be converted to software, robots, and smart machines by 2025, says Sungard. New digital businesses can require less labor. Machines will make sense of data faster than humans can. Among those listening in on the audience was Lawrence Strommeyer, the CEO of Nuvera Environmental Solutions, who said Gardner's prediction is similar to what happened in other areas of technological advance. The shift is from doing to implementing so that the doers go away, but someone still has to implement, said Stonemailer. IT is a shift, although it is a slow one, to new types of jobs, no different than what happened in the machine age, he said. The forecast of the impact of technology on jobs was also a warning to CIOs and IT managers at this conference to consider how they will adapt. The door is open for the CIO and the IT organization to be a major player in digital leadership, said David Aaron, a Geithner ad analyst. CIOs have been steadily gaining authority, and 41% of CIOs now report to the CEO. A record level, said Aaron. Um, To be effective leaders, 
Gartner argues that CIOs have shifted from being focused on measuring things like cost to being able to lead with vision and describes what their business or government agency must do to take advantage of smarter technologies. And that's where it ended. So when I keep telling you we have to have a talk about money, we actually really have to talk, have a talk about money. What happens? Pharmacists. They build a robot pharmacist. At some point, there's going to be an advantage to getting rid of pharmacies in all stores, all Walmarts, all grocery stores, all retail outlets. And they've already tried to do it with like self-checkouts in grocery stores. Those haven't gone over well because people still like a human touch. Oh, my God. I hate them. I hate them. That and the scales never work properly on them. No, they don't. But what I'm saying is there is a point where it's cheaper for a business to get rid of a person and replace them with some automated drone, for lack of a better word. That's coming. They've got... They've actually got security guards in Silicon Valley now that aren't people. <laughs> They're machines. <laughs> they've got, That's they've got, coming. They've got guards at Groom Lake that aren't human either. Yeah. The, the, they're uh, going to replace us with machines. So when I well, say I want to go to once, school once and I want to be an engineer, I want to be able to work on the machines because mm. I need to still have a job. Go ahead. Once a sleaze robot's been invented, yeah, that, that'll be the senators out of a job. <laughs> yeah, true. I don't know. I just find I'm really uncomfortable with it. I'm like, uh, old fashioned in a lot of ways. I like things that I make myself, I like handmade things. I like to cook dinner and sit down and eat it. Um, you know, I, I like to hunt. I, I, I feel like a throwback. And according to this, life is going to be really, really different in a few years. So, A, we need to sit down and talk about money. B, I don't know. I I shall point out at this point that uh, guys like this have been going on about robots replacing people for the last 40 years. Um, yeah. But we've, we're actually seeing it start to happen now. I mean, it's slow because it's not a cheap process. About, about the only the only job that's been completely taken over by robots is um, in in motor factories, and it's car spraying. Hmm. Spraying paint on newly built cars. That's about <laughs> the only thing that is now almost always done by robots. All right, but Itsy, have you watched the documentary Fed Up, Jan? No. Um, it's on Netflix, and usually it says F you, but um, it's not, <laughs> you know, F you like you. And I would think it's right. fed up, and it's a documentary on um, the obesity rates in the world, not just the United States, in the world, and um, about the the grocery industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, well, and, and it is an industry, you know that. Um, and one of the biggest things that really surprised me was they were talking about there being 600,000 food items in the United States on grocery store shelves. 80% of those have added sugar in them. 
And with this robotic age and this machine age that have come in, um, you know, people aren't physically working now. You know, they're standing there monitoring a computer or they're standing behind a cash register or, you know, I mean, how many people at your store? Well, your store is different, though, because all of you have to go unload stock and everything, right? But all of us have um, six or seven different jobs. And the the computer has now taken the place of your boss. You get like a printout that tells you what to do and when and and for how long and you, you get timed. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's like in most a lot of factories now, all the jobs that used to be, you know, manual labor and people were moving around, um, aren't there anymore. You know, and we have a lot of stand in one place work now in this country. Mm-hmm. The only thing in this documentary that I was really surprised they didn't talk about was that fact. Was the well, fact that you know, with the machine age and now, especially now with the digital age. Mm-hmm. Now, how many people work from home now? How many people sit behind your computer with a headset on and make reservations for hotels that they've never been to and never will go to? Um, and that's what they do. You know, they get up, they grab their cup of coffee, they walk in their dining room, and they sit down. Mm-hmm. They're they're not even walking outside and getting in their car. You know. um, that was one of the few things that wasn't brought up in this documentary, and I was really kind of surprised that it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot more impact to these technological advancements well, than what they want to even begin to think about. Yeah, there are. And yet we have these areas. And if you look at the way the United States is structured, you have areas like the Silicon Valley, which are pretty nice. You know, uh, so nice that most people can't afford to really live there who work there. And then you have areas like Detroit. And you would... Detroit is pretty awful. It's really bad now. It's really bad. But it's the kind of place where if the government had not interfered and had not bailed out every single fucking industry there over and over again and had not gotten involved in urban planning and urban renewal and all this stuff, I think you would see a very bright economy. And you don't. The reason I keep talking about machines and money uh, is you're going to see more stuff like that. In the 1950s, businesses used to be run in a certain way. You had to put money in and get a certain amount out. And you, if you got a little more out of your employees, then you were balanced just right. And it was perfect. Not really perfect, but it was a better way to do business than how we do it now. Where an employee has eight or nine jobs and a computer is their boss and we wring more and more and more and more out of less and less and less and less people. I think as you start to see that trend escalate, um, more people are going to break. That's a problem because more people are going to go right on the social security rolls. They figure by 20, is it 2025, 2033, social security is going to be completely broke. A lot of that 
has to do with government and big business just sort of embracing each other. It's, it's all like this big tangled knot of a spaghetti that I think if I worked at long enough, I could untangle it all and explain it all, but I couldn't fix it. All of this crap is just knotted together in one big ball, and I don't know how you fix it. Except I think a lot of us are going to have to figure out what money really is. What can we do without? Um, I do that all the time. I do, too. I do, too. I mean, I have, I have cars that have suction cups holding the windows open and closed because you know, replacing them is just too much money. And I have other priorities. I want my family fed. I want us to have a roof over our head. I want to pay the water bill this month. And that struggle is going to become a lot more real for a lot more people. We're going to be driving old piece of crap cars and not going to be able to upgrade anything or, or do anything. Discretionary spending is going to go in the toilet. You're going to have way more retail locations closing. And we are a service-oriented economy, and when that goes away, what is left for jobs? The military? I don't know. There's just so many ugly questions, and there's not enough answers, and it's just about 7 o'clock. So um, I'll leave you to ponder that, I guess, while we get Alex and talk about you know, the CASA Weekly Update, because that's much more cheerful than this. <laughs> Right. Let's see if he, we can get him. Right. Hi, Alex. Hello. Hi, Alex. Um, welcome to the CASA weekly update for the week of 5-11-2015. Hi, Alex. How are you this evening? Good. Good. Um, so... You got to go see Mitch Geller speak. What was that like? Mitch Zeller. Zeller. Geller. Sorry. <laughs> um, well, it was uh, pretty unenlightening. Um, <laughs> I, I think everybody's so he, sentiment was, was pretty much that. So he vagued things up nicely for you? Um. No, I, I, I mean, I barely even remember. There was so much more content with the rest of the, the conference that him being there was kind of, you know, I guess it was neat. <laughs> it's kind of like, I, meh. I, I, did, I, I'm probably putting my own overemphasis on it and saying that, you know, it was interesting to be at a conference where a federal regulator spoke. I, I'm sure that some people just experience that every day, but um, I think that was pretty much the the highlight there. I was I was I was really unimpressed, and a lot of the questions that ended up getting asked of him, you know, he either couldn't answer or um, they were relatively softball questions. Um, I mean, you know, if you think about it in, in the terms of things, no one was really asking anything um, particularly. Um, uh, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> Challenging? 
challenging. There you go. Sorry, my brain's yeah. a little. No, no out. reporters in the audience. <clears throat> No. So, okay. Um, what happened? <laughs> I know what happened last week because I did the update and I I went through like some of the past calls to action and stuff because I wasn't really sure um, what to t- what to talk about. And I think it went okay. Um, so, what happened this week, Alex? Um. Oh, for some reason, I just lost. Oh, here we go. Okay. Okay. I'm having a weird technology day. Um, Let's see. Well, just before the weekend, um, it looks like, and I'm probably going to need to update some of these, um, but uh, the HF848 in Minnesota uh, is now in conference committee, uh, which means it's made up of both representatives from the Senate and the House. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, uh, there's still the, the it's this the bill itself is kind of a must pass budget bill that uh, the e-cigarette tax language got slid into. Um, so uh, you know we're, we're watching that and uh, both us and the Minnesota vapors, advocacy have a call to action up for that um and so yeah if you live in minnesota please take action on that now um i don't have any substantial update for that other than it's in committee and uh, okay um and then uh let's see what else did we do uh hb5 in delaware mm-hmm. is uh i believe Yes, this we have this listed as could be uh, scheduled for a hearing on Wednesday, this Wednesday, okay. May thirteenth at two p.m. Um, and of course, we've updated our call to action to be directed at the Senate Health and Social Services Committee. Um, so, if you're in Delaware, uh, grab a friend, and then tell them to grab a friend, and the three of you can sit down in front of a computer and just click the link and click submit and send an email. Um, There's, uh, I guess there's not a lot of people in Delaware to start with. So uh, we have a very small uh, percentage of that who are actually receiving our email alerts, um, which is too bad because um, things look a little promising in Delaware. I mean, they'll kind of get, they'll most likely get an exemption for vapor shops, but um, you know, that's kind of only getting the ball part of the way down the field. That's not really, uh, what we'd, we'd like to see. So, right. um, Delaware, Delaware, get, get your friends together and send a bunch of emails. Um, and, uh, I'm going to have to get some clarification on Maine. There was something, so I I think this is it, and just bear with me for a minute while I um, go back through here. Um, We got a message from somebody saying that Maine had pulled uh, HP 670. It was supposed to be in a hearing today, 
Um, I just want to confirm that that's main. Um, okay. And I'm trying to not create a bunch of dead air here. Um, <laughs> that's okay. I could so, talk. <laughs> I was okay. Just trying so, to... um, yeah, it was main, and apparently the bill was pulled from the docket for the hearing today, and apparently. This isn't supposed to be discussed until next year. Hmm. So um, we're waiting on some confirmation. Pretty much all we have at the moment is that the bill got pulled from the agenda for today. Uh, but um, we're not entirely certain that they're holding off till next year. Either well, way, <laughs> you know, take action and tell your lawmakers that uh, – taxes on e-liquid is stupid and uh, they should oppose any bill that wants to do stupid things like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, actually. Yeah. Don't be a stupid head. Um. <laughs> I think Paul Blair is rubbing off on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is Maine. Maine. And we have some pending stuff Um that I, I don't have, we don't have a call to action out for this and, and the, the following things. And, um, I don't have any substantial updates, but, um, we are looking at, I believe another tax bill in Vermont. We have a tax, we have a call to action for Vermont right now. Okay. Um, that's SB 139, right. um, which would, uh, which was amended to uh, tax electronic cigarettes at 46 percent and would add vaping to the state's indoor anti-smoking law. Right. Um, so that, as far as I know, people should still be taking action on that. But I have another email here saying that H489, which I don't have updated language for, but this bill... Uh, will likely be a vehicle for a vapor tax. So waiting on more confirmation on that. Um, and once we get it, we'll probably issue another call to action. So, yeah. Um, I, I know we updated Port St. Lucie, Florida today. In fact, if you live in Port St. Lucie, Florida, you should, uh, you should be making phone calls and emails right now, if not driving <laughs> to the you should state. be You should be um, sitting in council chambers. Yeah, you really should be. Because yeah. second reads are how they pass stuff. At least for this one, I think, is how it's looking. So, yeah. Um, so there was that, and that was today. <laughs> that I know was today. Yeah. Um, there's a, I got a whole pile of local stuff I tried to get through. Um, I think I managed to get like three local alerts out this weekend. Um, but I did, had, uh, they were, oh God, where were they? I had, I, know, cause I, um, I, I put them up. I, I saw your, and I, I put them up on Google plus. Hang on. Let me, let me go there. Um, yeah, I know. We sound really organized, don't we? It's uh that's cuz we're not. 
it's it's well, tough. I think it has to do with the it's a volume thing. Of, yeah, with the amount of data and stuff that you two have to keep track of. Honest to God, I don't know how either one of you are even remotely sane. Oh, there's no <laughs> there's no sanity anymore. <laughs> there's no sanity anymore. Um, so I actually. Um, I believe I updated Westchester County, New York, which is having a hearing right now. Okay. Um, all this stuff was happening today, and and I got all these alerts like Friday, right around after work, and um, you know it's the weekend. And, mm-hmm. uh, I use that time really to catch up on sleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so uh, anyway, uh, let's see. So Westchester County, New York. That's meeting right now. Uh, Maplewood, Minnesota. Um, this had a sample ban in it. Um, and uh, indoor vaping ban. Okay. Um, and I believe uh, this is a public hearing. I don't know if this is... Oh, this is approval of second reading of ordinance. So yeah. um, good luck, Maplewood, Minnesota. <laughs> um and then what else? I know that there's also St. Louis County uh, needs to have something out. Um, I, I just had a back and forth with Jason from Minnesota Vapors. Okay. Um, I don't have it on my list, but um, that's that. Um, so those were the two. Plus okay. I updated a couple of things. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, there was some state level stuff that came out too. Yeah. Um. Of course, there's always there's always state stuff. Thank God, thank God for the state stuff. Um, we talked about Maine, um, and then I guess Minnesota, Fairfax, California. We updated that on the fifth. Um, not even updated it, but it was a an ordinance that would deceptively redefine smoke to include vapor from an electronic smoking device for the purpose of prohibiting vaping in the same places where smoking is currently banned. And that had a hearing Wednesday. I haven't heard anything about it. I'll look into it. Um, Monterey Park, California had a hearing on Wednesday, May 6th uh, about their moratorium on the establishment of new vapor retail shops. And I'll look into that and see if I can get an update for next time. Because apparently I'm really good at digging out what happens with that. And then Chico, California. Um, A council member requested a ban on vaping where smoking is prohibited. Um, And that had a hearing on Tuesday, April 5th. So I will try to get updates for that. Uh, Those were the ones I know that... I rebroadcasted that you had done while you were actually away listening to somebody make things as clear as mud. Um, so what, what else happened at, um, the Safada meeting? Um, it, it was good. There were a couple of really good panels. Um, uh, Julie was on, uh, one of the panels talking about, uh, state legislative efforts, Mm-hmm. Um, and legislative efforts in general, um, you know, to, there were some, there were, there were several good presentations. Um, 
<clears throat> a lot of it, you know, it's a room filled with industry people. So it's a lot of it is relevant to industry folks. Um, I was mostly there for, you know, to uh, press some flesh and, and make some contacts and expand, right. expand my own um, email alert, <clears throat> uh, email list. Um, right. But uh, I, I have to say that uh, it, it was... It was. I, I'm very appreciative to Safada for um, you know, having us uh, come. We, I mean, we paid our way, but um, it was uh, it was it was good for us to be there. Uh, you know, Kassad is not necessarily a Safada member, even though right. we work we work closely with them. Uh, so mm -hmm. it was very much appreciated that we were allowed to attend, and uh, I got uh, I feel like I got a lot out of it. Um, That's good. And uh, yeah, I have to say that attending these conferences is um worlds more productive than uh going to a vaguely um <laughs> the expo the expos are all kind of the same it's tables with booze and free liquid and you know um people walking around with not enough clothes on and then um you know, you know get to meet like half a dozen people that stop by the tables <laughs> i bitch about that all the time alex <laughs> i i miss like the old small like really small meats. I remember like here in Florida when I first started vaping, it was forever ago. The, the only game in town was totally wicked. And I remember they opened a vape lounge and we had never heard of such a thing or never even knew they existed. And my husband and I went up way up into Florida to see this lounge. And we walked in and it was like, we just stopped at the door there are all these people and they were normal people, you know, and I, I'm not saying that people that go to vape expos and stuff are abnormal, but I mean, they were just regular people, jeans and t-shirts, normal people vaping. And I had never seen other people vape. My husband and I were the only people I knew of who vaped at the time. And I just remember grabbing his hand and going, oh my God, this is unreal. <laughs> and there will never be another moment like that for me. Um, that's, and I have to, Jan, that is why like VaporCon and Vape Bash, mm -hmm. um, if I can make it to both of those meets in a year, I'm going to consider myself extremely lucky. Um, I've been to all of the VaporCon and you have to understand, Jan, the very first vape meet I have ever went to, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, the very first vape anything I had ever been to right. was VaporCon. That was my first exposure to people that vaped that weren't me. Mm -hmm. I'd never yeah. even been in a vape shop. And I walk into VaporCon 1, and there's 2,500 people just walking around vaping. It was absolutely surreal. Um, yeah. And to me, those meets still, as big as Vape Bash was this year, it still feels small because they make sure that the, the tables are there in Everybody can sit down and talk and whatever. Um, I've been to two trade show type events. Um, mm -hmm. I won't go to another one. They're just not my thing. I, I, I don't need to look at, you know, naked women walking around in body paint and fishnet. It's just not my thing. You know, I would love to go to a conference, but they have these things when I have to work. I mean, that's, that's the horrible thing about working in retail. I, there's only certain times of the year I can take off. 
like literally, which is a shame because I would love to attend a conference. That would be great because I, I love to learn. That's my thing. I'm glad you got you got good stuff out of it, Alex. That's awesome. So what's on tap for this week, Alex? Well, I mentioned <clears throat> I mentioned Vermont um, right. and uh, what else? Uh, oh, um, before I forget, I'm just going to rattle off a name of a bunch of cities and I, I may get some of this out tonight. Um, but uh, just so that we can actually put them in the links. Um, let's see. Uh, Broward County, Florida has a public hearing tomorrow at 2 2 a.m. That can't be right. 2 p.m. Uh, it's got to be 2 p.m. I assume that's 2 p.m. <laughs> um, and uh, If they're having a 2 a.m. meeting, I might be able to make it before work because I go to work at 4. <laughs> I mean, it, it is Florida, so um, <laughs> maybe you should just get ready. Um, that is That looks like an indoor use ban. Um, let's see. Steel County, Minnesota. Um, um, I'm going to have to look into that. Uh, that may or may not become something. Uh, sorry, I'm just doing this roughly. Um, uh, Mequon, Wisconsin. Okay. Um, no details available on that. Nice. Uh, whatever, it just triggered an alert. Um, okay. St. Louis County, Minnesota. This is the, uh, what is this? This is the third public hearing. Okay. Uh, this is going to be at 9.30 in the morning. And this looks like some weird boundary type issues with vaping and um, uh, also just prohibiting indoor use public places and so on uh medford massachusetts again this is for tomorrow at 7 p.m um massachusetts board of health um all i have is follow-up to paper 14-708 propose a draft ordinance to regulate the sale and use of electronic cigarettes in the city of medford okay. um see what happens there um berkeley california this was uh, I believe um, Berkeley was, I think Berkeley was considering lifting their moratorium. Okay. If on that vape was shops? The, the deal, yeah. Um, it looks like they've moved on to requiring a tobacco retail license, which is something that we're also a bit uncomfortable with. Right. Uh, because of, I think Julie has, has actually mentioned this several times, what happened in Iowa. Um, it's, see, I don't understand why they can't have them register with the Department of Health. You know what I mean? Register, pay a fee, not make it a tobacco license. But that's neither here nor there. Because that makes a little bit too much sense. Oh, I'm sorry. Relatively easy. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's Berkeley, and I'll look into that and probably work on updates are relatively easy. Um, and then uh, the big one here is uh, Sonoma City, Sonoma, California. White um, country? Uh, it's about to be whatever country. Um, 
because it looks like they're um, they're looking to prohibit the sale of electronic cigarettes throughout the city. So no, uh, no one uh, can sell. Um, no one yeah. can sell the vapes. Whoa. Okay. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> if if you is the list in the is the list in the folder of doom. Uh, it will be. Uh, I just okay. kind of got I'll, um, up on my feet and started working on this. Okay. When you're <clears throat> um, when I'm done here, I'll just go and start working down the list systematically. My Google Foo's pretty good. Cool. Um, and then before I cut out here, uh, this okay. is another another call to action that we'll probably be uh, putting out within the next two or three days. Um, and I'm sure that a lot of people have already seen this. Um, HR 2058 has been introduced into uh, the U.S. House. Um, yes. This bill would move the grandfather date for new tobacco products up to when the FDA deeming regulations are finalized. Yeah. They're implemented, whatever that yeah. means. This is one of those little nuggets of information that I think I got um, at the uh, at the conference was um, it, even when FDA drops regulations, mm -hmm. nothing's really set in stone. And I know there's a term for this, but so you go like it, the the modified risk um, tobacco application that Swedish Match recently went through. Oh, they're they're sort of like a trial case. Right. No one's ever successfully navigated this. And mm -hmm. so it, it's since they're the first one, FDA is sort of making this up as they go along. Um, so that's that's why when I say when I have a little bit of hesitation about when the FDA regulations are finalized, and that's just something gets written in a journal. That's not actually final regulations. It's 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 all just sort of being made up on the fly. Well, um, yeah, but we're we're also going to have time to comment on that again, I believe, before they yes. implement. And the wheels of big government, extremely big government, federal government, tend to roll pretty slow. You know, there is no way to rush through these regulations, although the antis would love us to. There is just no way to rush that through, especially with it being something so new. They have no idea what the hell they're doing. <clears throat> well, I would I would also argue that if even if they did rush through them, I mean, if the FDA came back tomorrow and was like, we're done, we finalized it, here you go. Even then, there's nothing final about it. It's just kind of, you know, it's just a bunch of words somewhere. It doesn't really seem to that there's nothing concrete. There's no defined pathway to approval there's no uh you know there's a lot of vagaries in in whatever they put out and it, it right. i i don't even I, I know that somebody used a term and it's sort of a it's like a, a um was it like a ban by process or something like that um yeah. I, anyway i've gotten off kind of off the topic um, but uh, I just at least want to put it out there so that we can have a link for it in this podcast and okay. uh, and people can go for it once we finally get it up. Um, yep. HR 2058, uh, we are uh, supportive of this. 
and um, we will be, uh, I believe there are several districts that we'll be focusing on. Uh, the, the bill has three or four co-sponsors or authors. Um, and of course, this is being put forth by Representative uh, Cole, Cole out of Oklahoma. Um, so we may even set it up so that people from all over the country can send nice letters to him and uh, express their support and gratitude. Um, yes. So just uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. Yeah, no, it's 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 a it's certainly not where I think we need to be, but it's a good positive first step. And it, it means that at least some of the Congress critters are actually listening to their constituents, which is kind of nice for a change. So yeah. that's a, it's a good thing to end on a positive note, um, I think. <laughs> yeah, positive enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. I will see you later on tonight. Thank you, Alex, for everything you do. Um, please join CASA if you've not already done so. Um, just joining us on the Facebook groups or the Facebook pages, the Google+, Twitter, Instagram, that's not really a substitute. Um, there, If you go to CASA.org, there is a link for you to join us. Please join us so that we can help you to protect yourself from the overreaching regulations by the government and to your personal freedoms to vape. Um, thank you, Alex. Have a great night. Thanks. Thanks. See you. See you. So that was a happy moment. Don't get too many of those. So, yeah, we talked about uh, license plate readers. Oh, here's a good one. How to keep NSA computers from turning your phone conversations into searchable texts. <laughs> this is from uh, The Intercept's new blog, Unofficial Sources. As soon as my article about how NSA computers can now turn phone conversations into searchable text came out on Tuesday, people started asking me, what should I do if I don't want them doing that to mine? The solution, as it is to so many other outrageously invasive U.S. government tactics exposed by NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden, is, of course, congressional legislation. I kid. I kid. No, the real solution is end-to-end -end encryption preferably of the unbreakable kind. And as luck would have it, you can have exactly that on your mobile phone for the price of zero dollars and zero cents. The Intercept's Michael Lee wrote about, wrote about this in March in an article titled, You Really Should Consider Installing Signal, an Encrypted Messaging App for iPhone. Signal is for iPhone and iPads and encrypts both voice and text. Redphone is the Android version of the product. Text Secure is the Android version of the text product. As Lee explained, the open source software group known as Open Whisper Systems, which makes all three, is gaining a reputation for combining trustworthy encryption with ease of use and mobile convenience. Nobody, not your mobile provider, your ISP, or the phone manufacturer, can promise you that your phone conversations won't be intercepted in transit. That leaves end-to-end -end encryption using a trustworthy app 
whose makers themselves literally cannot break the encryption, your best play. As Lee writes, Signal's code is open source, meaning it can be inspected by experts, and the app also supports forward secrecy. So if an attacker steals your encryption key, they cannot go back and decrypt messages they may have collected in the past. Using Signal and Redphone means your voice conversations are always fully scrambled. As Lee wrote, other apps with encryption tend to enter insecure modes at unpredictable times. Unpredictable for many users, at least. Apple's iMessage system, for example, employs strong encryption, but only when communicating between two Apple devices and only when there is a proper data connection. Otherwise, iMessage falls back on the insecure SMS messaging iMessage also lacks a forward security, secrecy, and inspectable code source. Signal also offers the ability for power users to verify the identify of the people they're talking to, confirming that the encryption isn't under attack. With iMessage, you just have to take Apple's word for it. The big announcements by Apple and Google last fall were about encrypting data on users' phones, not the calls made by those phones. Although regular phone calls on the iPhone are not encrypted, Apple's extremely popular FaceTime service is encrypted by default, as is iMessage. So when you're using those services with another Apple user, your conversations are encrypted whether you knew it or not. There are, of course, some caveats, as Lee writes. It is important to keep in mind that no technology is 100% secure, and an encrypted messaging app can only be as secure as the device you install it on. Intelligence agencies and other hackers can still exploit security bugs that have not yet been fixed, known as zero-day exploits, to take over smartphones and bypass the encryption that privacy apps employ. But apps like Signal go a long way to making mass surveillance of billions of innocent people infeasible. So that was kind of good. Yeah. I've I mean, always it, liked it, open source. <laughs> well, I mean, it only goes so far, and you can only do so much with it. But I think... The open source community's actually done a lot for privacy. Yeah. Certainly a lot more than the people who are getting paid to write this stuff. Because, you know, they're paid to install backdoors on everything. Which, you know, you know the NSA is, like, listening to your phone calls and your texts. If you make it harder for them... I mean, I, I know they're not going to like it, but at least you're going to feel like you did something, you yeah. know, and maybe that's more important than anything else. I don't know. Jeannie, thoughts? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I have nothing to say. Okay. She, she's she's off wondering what app she needs to install on her phone. <laughs> So this was kind of cool. I don't know how much people pay attention to the news, but... Oh, uh, shit. Sorry, Jen. I was talking. I had my microphone muted. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so so what do you think about those apps? I mean, they're they're free. I mean, I can stick... Well, someone can stick... I, I can stick uh, links. And I hate to say this, and you're, you're not going to like this, Jen. I don't give a flying fuck if they listen to my phone calls. Um, I am I am lucky to be smart enough to figure out how to make a phone call on this thing. Um, I have my kid install and uninstall shit on my phone because I can't be bothered. <laughs> I mean, you know, my husband works for the telephone company. We still have a landline in our house. 
um, shit, they've been listening to them for decades. I mean, I can remember back in the day when, when party lines were a common thing. Mm-hmm. You know, five houses would have one line. I mean, they would each have different phone numbers, but th- there would be one line. You would go over and pick up your phone to make a phone call and hear somebody talking like, oh, okay, click. Or you would sit there and listen to their freaking phone call. Yeah, um, did did all party phones come with a semi-racist uh, depiction of Chinese people? <laughs> Breakfast at Tiffany's joke there. Yeah. I got no. it. <laughs> uh, um, no, I, I do know what you're talking about. And yes, they've been listening for years, but that doesn't make it any less a violation. You, you either have Fourth Amendment rights that extend from everything that are your physical books and papers to your digital books and papers or you have none at all i mean don't get me wrong i'm big on all the amendments but i think the fourth is the one that much like the second really needs to be a line in the sand people have a right to privacy and you have the right to privacy that extends beyond what goes on in your own head don't you think well, I, I do. don't. I talk in my sleep. Nothing's nothing <laughs> is secret with me. Uh, I don't know. I I just don't. I don't like it. Oh, and you know, and I agree that people should have privacy. I'm just. You asked me what I thought, and I thought I'm too fucking lazy to install this. <laughs> it's an app. It's it's there. I mean, it's an app. It's free. About, I've got too much other shit to think about right now. I really oh, do. You're killing me here. I know killing I'm killing me. you here, but you know, You're killing I mean, me. I've got 300 plants to get in net pots and in hydroponic systems and whatever. So I'll tell Bernie or Alexis to go find this app and install it on my phone. <laughs> I've I've actually got the the links for the app in the chat. Um, it's it's I should I should make Kevin put them up. And I knew you were going to die when I said that because you put yours in a blocket pocket. So, I mean, I knew you were just going to die. I put my stuff in a Faraday you. cage. Yeah. I can't lie to you, Jan. I am too fucking lazy to install this app on my phone. I'm like, oh, my God, you're killing me. I'm, <laughs> it's a good thing we're not talking about passwords because then I, I have a feeling you would make me cry. Oh, no, because my passwords are huge. Yeah, I don't do no, my passwords have uppercase, lowercase, special characters, numbers. Yeah, no, my passwords. I don't. Even, my husband could never even figure out what my passwords were. Oh, my passwords are obscure legal texts. So, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really, good luck with that out there. I mean, I'm sure somebody can break it. I just think it's going to take you a while. But you know, in this app, it really is not going to make a difference if I have this app on my phone or not. Say like. Do you and my mother? Hey, she, has when I talk to my mother on my cell phone, right? It it is like taking the volume on your mixer and turning it up to max, and then having somebody scream at you. You can literally hold the phone two feet away from your head, not on speaker, and everybody in the room can still hear my mother talking. So the it NSA was, gets to hear that in stereo. That's good. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, I mean, they could hear that with a space speaker. space microphone Um, yeah my mom yells when she's on the phone and it's like she sits because they spend the winters in Florida she Mm -hmm. sits it on her back deck all summer here 
you know, with her cigarettes and she's got her pack of cigarettes and she's got her e-cig and she's got her coffee and she's got a book and she's got her little pocket um, uh, solitaire game, you know. Right. And uh, my mom will sit out there on the phone and the whole fucking neighborhood hears her. (laughs) You know, it's a good thing that my mother doesn't talk about anything, you know, you wouldn't want everybody to know because half the (laughs) town can hear her. Yeah, but that's different than the federal government knowing what you're talking about. I, I still say everybody has the right to freedom, even if it's the freedom to just be boring as shit. Um, we were talking about, God, what were we talking about before we started talking about phone calls? Um, talking about this app that I'm making yeah. you cringe. <laughs> yeah, you are making me cringe about it, but, um, I'm sorry it, it's, it's okay. Um, what I want you to do is I want you to Google something called digital shadow. I want everybody to do this. Google something called digital shadow. Let it merge with your Facebook. Watch what happens. And then tell me how you don't care about your phone calls being private. How you don't care about anything you do being private. Just do me a favor and attempt that because I think you'll find out some really interesting things about yourself that you didn't know. And that's just, that's an, that's an app that you allow to merge with your Facebook and it, it feeds you not anybody else, a bunch of information about yourself. And then you can wipe it completely out of Facebook. But it, it's something everybody should experience what digital shadow picks up. Because nothing will freak you out more than there are parts of digital shadow that show people who like you on Facebook and people who hate you on Facebook, which is fine. But it also takes and analyzes the words you use most. So, like, you you know my news stories, that's 99% of my Facebook page. I don't write stuff about me. I don't write stuff about my life. I don't put up pictures. There is nothing on there you can really define me with. It couldn't find really much about me. But, I mean, it... (laughs) Instead, I was, like, dangerous and psychotic. I'm like, oh, that's really nice. Thank you. But that's, it's pulling text from all the news stories I put up. So anything you write on Facebook, somebody can analyze. It's, it's truly creepy to see it. They have actually improved um, Facebook's tools for keeping things private about yourself a little. But... It's not where it needs to be yet. And um, I think it's kind of hilarious that Mark Zuckerberg, Mr. We need to keep the Internet free, is now pushing forward the to fast track the TTP. Has anybody else noticed that? I mean, I think it's hilarious. He got his, so now it's just time to screw the rest of us. Anyway, sorry, I got off on the Facebook thing. So I, I don't know how many people really pay attention to the news, but there was a pretty interesting ruling against the NSA this week. EFF case analysis. Appeals court rules NSA phone records dragnet is illegal. We now have the first decision from a court of appeals on NSA's mass surveillance program involving bulk collections of telephone records under two, Section 215 of the Patriot Act. And it's a doozy. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the second 
court circuit issued an opinion in ACLU versus Clapper holding that the NSA's telephone records program went far beyond what Congress authorized when it passed Section 215 of the Patriot Act in 2001. The court completely rejected the government's secret reinterpretation of Section 215 that has served as the basis for the telephone records collection program. EFF filed amicus briefs in this case in both the district and circuit courts, and we congratulate our colleagues at the ACLU on this and a significant victory, not that it means anything. The Second Circuit's opinion stands as a clear signal that the courts are ready to step in and rule that mass surveillance is illegal. As we'll discuss in a future post, it also marks a significant change in the context of the ongoing legal debate in Congress about these issues. Above all, it is clear that Congress must do more to rein in dragnet surveillance by the NSI. Relevance means what you think it means. The public first learned about the, the NSA was collecting millions of Americans' phone records on a daily basis back in 2006. However, it wasn't until January, um, till June 3rd, 2013, when The Guardian published a secret document disclosed by former NSA contractor Edward Snowden that we learned the government's full legal justification for the program. That document was an order from the Secretive Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court directing Verizon to turn over the private calling records of ordinary people in bulk in pursuant to Section 215. Shortly afterward, the ACLU filed suit to stop the program, arguing both that it violated the First and Fourth Amendments and that the statute itself did not reauthorize the NSA program. In December 2013, the district court ruled for the government on all of these claims. On appeal, the second court agreed with the ACLU that the government's formally secret interpretation of the law is wrong. Rather, the text of the law provides no clue to the massive programs the government claims it secretly authorizes. The second circuit court pointed out that the language of Section 215 only allows the government to get an order requiring the production of tangible things if it provides a statement of fact showing that the tangible things saw are relevant to an authorized investigation. But the court reasoned a decades-long program of dragnet surveillance involving the bulk collection of millions of Americans' telephone records simply can't be relevant to an authorized investigation. They explained it this way. The government takes the position that the metadata collected, a vast amount of which does not directly contain relevant information, as the government concedes, are nevertheless relevant because they may allow the NSA, at some unknown time in the future, utilizing its ability to sift through a trove of irrelevant data it has collected up to that point, to identify information that is relevant. We agree with the appellants that such an expansive concept of relevance is unpredictable and unwarranted. The court also found that other language in Section 215 proved the government's arguments wrong. Section 215 also links the scope of orders it authorizes to that of a grand jury subpoena. The court explained that orders to telecommunication providers extend to every record that exists and indeed to records that do not yet exist, and there has never been a grand jury subpoena like that. In the second court's view... Such an unprecedented expansion of the concepts of relevance would require significant public debate. That simply didn't happen with Section 215, despite the fact that Congress had somewhat blindly renewed Section 215 seven times. As the Supreme Court charmingly put it, Congress does not hide elephants in mouse holes. <laughs> <clears throat> 
there are a number of other important elements in the opinion, in particular, the discussion of the ACLU's standing to pursue its claims. Standing is a legal term of art that refers to the right to sue. In legal challenges to mass surveillance, the government routinely argues that even if it is collecting the contents and our metadata of individuals' communications, these individuals do not have the standing to challenge the government's actions because they are not harmed by mere collection, as opposed to government search or review of records. The Second Circuit's opinion demolishes this argument on a number of grounds. First, the court explained that collection of an entity's metadata alone is enough to confer standing because the ACLU's records, among others, have been targeted for seizure by the government. That's right, collect and seize mean pretty much the same thing. EFF similarly argued in Jewell v. NSA lawsuit that the government commits a Fourth Amendment seizure when it collects communications directly from the Internet backbone. Second, the court held that when NSA queries its database of the seized phone records, including the ACLUs, it searches them, thus conferring Fourth Amendment standing. The fact that such a search is done by computers doesn't matter, an argument we also made in Joule. Third, the court held that the ACLU has standing to challenge the NSA program on First Amendment grounds because when the ACLU's metadata is collected, its members' interests in keeping their associations and contacts private are implicated, creating a chilling effect. This is similar to the theory in EFF's, EFF's first Unitarian Church of L.A. versus NSA lawsuit in which 24 nonprofit groups are challenging the NSA's collection on First Amendment grounds. Metadata matters. Also noteworthy is the second court's rejection of the government's line. Understand how and why this suspension. I have pop up. <laughs> when defending the program, it's just metadata. Drawing on an expert declaration from Professor Ed Fellin, buttressed by EFF's amicus brief on behalf of 17 computer science experts, the court explained that metadata is often a proxy for the content of communications and that phone records reveal a startling amount of detailed information about callers, closely tracking arguments made by EFF in its amicus brief, as well as arguments in Smith v. Obama and Clayman v. Obama. The court also recognized that aggregation of calling records matters because collection of large amounts of metadata, plus the application of sophisticated data processing technologies, gives the government access to even more revealing portraits of individuals and groups. The card also realized that there is very little anyone can do to avoid generating this information. What about the Constitution? <laughs> the court held that it did not need to reach the ACLU's constitutional claims because of its statutory holding. Nevertheless, it noted that the ACLU's Fourth Amendment claim presented vexing issues and that the seriousness of constitutional concerns informed its statutory analysis. Chief among these vexing issues is the so-called third-party doctrine. Just this week, the 11th Circuit issued a disappointing decision holding that third-party doctrine eliminates cell phone users' Fourth Amendment rights in historical cell phone location information. The doctrine is before the courts in Smith v. Obama, the Fourth Amendment challenge currently before the Ninth Circuit Court in which EFF and the ACLU are co-counsel in Clayman v. Obama currently under submission in the D.C. Circuit, which the EFF argued as an amicus. Hopefully these courts will pick up on the Second Circuit's constitutional concerns and hold up the third-party doctrine does not shield the phone records dragnet. 
We'd like to see similar rulings in our other cases that involve records, phone records collection, including Jewel, First, Unit, First Unitarian, and Human Rights Watch versus DEA. The problem with secret laws and secret courts. Both the Second Circuit panel opinion and a concurrence submitted by Judge Sack emphasized that the NSA's faulty interpretation of Section 215 was even more galling because it was shrouded in secrecy, having been approved by only a one-sided secret court, the Foreign Intelligence Service Surveillance Court. Shining a light on the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court has been central in EFF's legislative efforts to reform the intelligence community. The chilling effects that legislative landscape... Okay, the ruling effects that legislative landscape, which we'll discuss in a future post. Conclusion. The ACLU versus Clapper opinion marks a breath of fresh air, not only in bringing notable sensibility to interpreting the statute, but also in dealing directly with special problems caused by both the changes in technology we use and the shift to mass collection, aggregation, and analysis. That's the problem. That's the problem. They have no idea. A lot of these judges, and we've talked about the Supreme Court mostly, seem to have no idea how new technology works. Now have no idea that stuff you have on your phone. I have legal briefs on my phone. I have scientific papers on my phone. I have all kinds of stuff on my phone that isn't necessarily about me, but could tell someone a lot about me. I don't think the NSA needs to collect that stuff. I don't know. Thoughts? I think that they need to shut the water off to the storage center. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, shut I, it I off. You need to wonder where the data is actually being stored because it certainly isn't that data center. Oh, I speaking think it's of, in a god, speaking of water, just a little bit of a ooh shiny. Um, Jan, did they finally tell Nestle that they had to restrict their production in California? I think- I think California did. I think California shut Nestle down. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, I'm just wondering because they've had people, residents, you know, that are paying taxes and own property there, you know, telling them they had to restrict their water consumption for Mm -hmm. months now. And yet Nestle was still bottling water to send all over the country. So Paul mentioned it and I figured I would ask because you would know. Thank you. (laughs) We can go back to bitching about metadata because, yeah, it's bullshit. Um you know, the, the the whole, the building should have never been completed. None of this collection should be going on. I agree. Um, you know, your country is using technology that is, that is now considered average way of life communication um, against its own people. Um, there's something fucked up about that. Um, you well, know that YouTube video you sent me? Yeah. I I believe yeah. all of that shit, Jan. Tinfoil head or not, I believe all of that shit. There are pictures all over the place of armed convoys um, doing training maneuvers and shit in every part of the country. Something's yeah. up with that. So, but, I, so metadata? Yeah. They need this. I mean, I didn't really... I didn't really talk about that, but, uh, you know, my dad, my dad was Marine. You don't get to go in the Marines and retire from the Marines by being a candy ass. Okay. You get to be 
pretty fucking good. And my dad, who doesn't fucking say much of anything, looks at me and says, you know, we don't do training maneuvers in places. We've never done them in places that we weren't planning to invade. And even if it's not now, it's sometime in the future, uh, this is just not normal. And from his um, perspective, what's going on now with a lot of the, the Jade Helm stuff is not a normal thing. And it really isn't. Um, it, it's not... Very, do you know what I'm talking about? It's yeah. probably not a big deal there. Jade Helm? It's probably not a big deal there. They're, they're doing all sorts of training maneuvers, trying to get people, sneak people into small southern towns and blend them in. <laughs> Military yeah. people, yeah. Um, I I have I take issue with that, and I, I think my my father is probably really right. And you know more about military history than I do. What's your take on it? Oh, the military have been doing that sort of thing for a very very long time. Um. It's it's their equivalent of uh, sleeper agents, basically. Uh, have somebody there in case you need to do something. Yeah. And you're then usually putting it places it, where you're already planning to be doing something. So, yeah. But it takes time. So. <laughs> well, it does, but they've been... This is... Um, they do it here. They do it in Canada. In Canada, uh, every year they have this thing called maple leaf or red leaf. It, it depends on you know which year you've been looking at their their military history. And it's people from all the UN nations, all the best of the best, come there and they they try to blend in with the people in Canada and try to move about the country unobserved and see if they can fit in it's it's pretty screwed up shit but um we've done it for a long time too it's just that this year the people in texas got riled up and flipped out and went to their town hall and went you're not having this here in a couple of (laughs) texas counties yeah and i guess their mayor was like okay you got it that's canceled i'm like uh, yeah, I don't think you get to cancel something. How, how do you know it's cancelled? Because the guys they get to do this are usually really good at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Jeannie, do you want to give Ari that that video that I yes. gave you? Okay. Yep. This this is from a man. Now, the Rutherford Institute is pretty right leaning. I'm somewhat less right leaning. In fact, I'm somewhat less authoritarian than just about everybody on planet earth i'm way down somewhere in the anarchist cycle of things i guess um but the the man from the rutherford institute's written a lot of really interesting books about military history and just things that have happened in the united states versus how they've happened in other countries it's really interesting uh his take on it so I guess if Barry wants to play that, now would be an oh, interesting time. Okay. Sorry, it took me a minute because I'm like, I can't find that shit. <laughs> well, it's because you didn't send it to me on Skype. I had to open Facebook. Yeah, sorry. There you go, Barry. Nope, that's okay. Uh, no, not your fault at all. I'm the forget forgetful dumbass here. 
I'm like, where is it? Right, hang on. Here we go. This is John W. Whitehead, author of Battlefield America, The War on the American People, bringing you a message about the state of our nation. As I detail in my book, Battlefield America, The War on the American People, there's something going on in this country that I consider quite dangerous, and many commentators are also seeing something that's quite disturbing. As we are seeing military exercises carried out in the United States, the Jade Helm exercises, which are being conducted in Texas, part of Utah, Southern California, where the military, working with the local police, is creating so-called hostile territories, where the so-called people that they're fighting, enemy combatants or extremists or terrorists, are the American people, anticipating some kind of resistance or uprising in America. Believe it or not, the Department of Defense has its Minerva Research Initiative where they work with a number of universities and they're trying to f create a study on how to put down so-called social uprisings. Studying the word social uprisings in the reports, I s noticed something that was a little disturbing. A social uprising to the people running the United States government now is free speech activity. Martin Luther King, for example, would have been studied under this a study to show how maybe they could have stopped what this uh, great American was doing. But these exercises are not new. Under the, the Reagan administration back in the 1980s, the American government was running exercises in various parts of the country called Rex 84. Same goal, anticipating a possible uprising in the United States. We're dealing with an institution that is composed of a lot of paranoid people. Let me give you a few examples. Why in the world would the Department of Homeland Security contract, not buy them up off of, of uh, some foreign market, but contract to actually purchase 1.6 million hollow point bullets? Hollow point bullets explode on contact. They violate international law. But we have agents in the United States running around with hollow point bullets. The average Department of Homeland Security trooper, if you want to call them that, or government agency on American soil, has three times the amount of ammunition that a foot soldier in Afghanistan has. The Social Security Administration purchased, they said, almost 200,000 hollow point bullets in a press release, they stated, to be passed out to 41 locations across America. Who's carrying these bullets around America? It has to be a little bit scary, folks. Uh, all the major federal agencies have SWAT teams, the IRS, the Department of Education actually does SWAT team raids for overdue loans. 80,000 SWAT team raids now occurring across the United States in America where black-clad troopers, some people might call them police, are crashing through doors. American citizens are getting shot, some killed, kids have been killed, burned, dogs always getting shot. Uh, why are they doing that? Even a study of Nazi Germany, which I do in my book, Battlefield America, The War on the American People, shows the Nazis didn't even do that. They work with snitches, and we're finding that to be true in our country as well, people reporting other people. So we're seeing a new ph phenomenon here. So what are we dealing with? A recent Princeton 
uh, university study in conjunction with uh, Northwestern University concluded a very detailed study that what we live in in this country is what's called an oligarchy. And the study concludes that the average American has virtually no input on the national level. Who has an input? What do you think? Large corporate interests, the people that go in and out of the White House. There are 25 lobbyists, corporate lobbyists, per representative. So who's controlling things today? Large moneyed interests. That's why you're seeing $4.5 billion worth of military equipment flowing to local police in our country. I mean, handed out by the Department of Homeland Security. What in the world does the state of Florida need 36 grenade launchers for and 40 mine-resistant armor protection vehicles? Why does the state of Texas need 70-some 70-some mine-resistant armor protection vehicles used, by the way, in foreign wars by, our, by the American troops. Why do they need those? And in Texas, $24.3 million worth of Black Hawk helicopters and other aircraft to, to fight wars with. So the question is, what's, in, what's being anticipated here? At the same time, we have to understand this. The statistics show, these are FBI statistics, that crime in America, violent crime, is at a 40-year low. Police officers getting shot in the line of duty is at a 50-year low. So, what are we looking at here and what do we need to do? Well, first of all, I'm telling people, if you want to change this country now, we, and I, my opinion is we don't have much longer. We're in a transition period now. In fact, history shows that when you see armed governments and violence toward the citizenry, it's a transition phase into a totalitarian regime, or let's put authoritarian regime. But I would so t say totalitarian because the NSA, all the intelligence agencies know everything we're doing electronic electronically from your bank records. Uh, the local police have sting stingray devices in their cars. They drive out of your home and download everything that's on your cell phone, and they track you for the rest of your life. So we're going to be dealing with a totalitarian government. What can we do? I'm telling people to get involved in their local governments. And I'm not saying just get involved. If your local government is not responding to what the federal government's doing, sending troops into your local neighborhood, your, your, your local government's not uh, resisting the National Defense Authorization Act, which allows the president to label, label someone an extremist, have the military come in and remove them and put them in a detention camp where they can't see their lawyer or families. Two, two states have actually said that we're not going to follow that. We're nullifying that. We're not going to let our police work with the federal government in doing that. So changes can be made. I often say three of the most beautiful words in the English language are this. We the people. Where does that come from? United States Constitution. We are the government. So if you want to see change, I'd say get down to your local governing bodies, get them active, and start saying no to some of these programs. That's what democracy is all about. So, as I often say, folks, the future of freedom is up to you. For more information about the Rutherford Institute, visit us at www.rutherford.org. You can probably cut that off now. Um... I thought he actually made some interesting points. I mean, he talked about the 10th Amendment movement, which I've been a big supporter of for a long time. Um, you know, there is something kind of compelling about knowing that you can force your local government to do the right thing, but you have to be willing to do something and you have to be willing to do something before it gets really bad. I don't know if it's really bad yet. It's not really bad where I am. But who knows? 
you know. It's but, not bad and, where you are, but yeah, Florida's got 36 grenade launchers. Yeah. Is that for the Gators? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Gators, <laughs> the Pythons. It's not for the people. <laughs> Jeannie, I know you were saying something before I said grab the video and give it to Barry, but what were you saying? That even with or without a tinfoil hat, I thought that this guy was making a lot of sense. That? Yeah. Because if it was something else, I don't fucking remember. <laughs> no, he, he actually, he's actually a pretty educated person. Um, like I said, I think the Rutherford Institute really leans to the right. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of groups that lean to the left that are very into the Tenth Amendment movement and it's it's really something worth looking into um also tomorrow the trans-pacific partnership vote is coming up in congress the fast track vote i don't know did anybody know that <laughs> i'm i'm gonna guess no <laughs> <laughs> so i'm sticking a link from battleforthenet.com in the chat if you could take a look at that um, I think it's probably a good thing to oppose fast track legislation as it signs away any sort of rights that even your local government have to protect you or to make laws that would protect workers or, or any of those things. And all of those are really kind of important. It, basically, this trade agreement, like every other trade agreement, will give the corporations way too much control over you and your life and your body and what you choose to put in it or not put in it. Um, I did say I was going to talk about... Yeah, there was something I said I was going to talk about that I almost missed. I guess I can talk about uh, the underwear bomber working for the CIA next week. Uh, and um, okay, and its first civil uh, enforcement action against a virtual currency exchange, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, levied a seven hundred thousand dollar fine on San Francisco-based Ripple Labs for violating the Bank Secrecy Act. There's a trend in government legislation, and, and maybe you've noticed it or maybe you haven't, but when you read the title of a bill, it is not always what's contained in the bill. The, the Bank Secrecy Act is not what you think it is. Following an investigation by U.S. Attorney's Office, the IRS, and FINCEN, Ripple Labs has agreed to pay the fine and take steps to comply with federal regulations. Ripple Labs cryptocurrency called XRP has the second largest market cap after Bitcoin, according to FinCEN. On Tuesday, FinCEN and the U.S. District Attorney's Office for the Northern District of California jointly announced civil charges against Ripple Labs for failing to register as a money services business with FinCEN and for failing to maintain an anti-money laundering program. According to the attorney's office, Ripple Lab failed to file a suspicious activity report when it negotiated a $25,000 transaction with a former felon convicted of dealing... 250000 Sorry. 250. No, it's okay. 
Yeah, there was a whole zero difference. Uh, I just realized, no, that's a lot of freaking money. That is. Uh, convicted of dealing with an explosive device in 2013. Additionally, the government claims Ripple Labs sold XRP without being registered with FinCERN, earning $1.3 million in April 2013 alone. The U.S. District Attorney off, agreed to drop criminal charges in exchange for Ripple Labs acknowledging a list of violations and agreeing to pay a $450,000 forfeiture, which will be applied to the $700,000 fine. Additionally, Ripple Labs must make a number of changes to comply with the Bank Secrecy Act. And the Bank Secrecy Act, again, is not what you think it is. Ripple Labs is an industry leader. They simply paid a civil penalty for some technical violations, and they weren't charged with a crime, said Brian Klein, a leading criminal defense lawyer who represents companies dealing with cryptocurrency. I have no doubt Ripple will continue to be a leader in the virtual currency field. Um, Ripple Labs spokesperson Monica Long explained that Ripple Labs has been working with the government throughout the investigation. The company registered XRP2 as a money service business to handle XRP sales in 2013. Hired a chief compliance officer in January 2014, bought on a general counsel and BSA officer in February 2015, and is working to enhance its anti-money laundering program, Long said. An early company in emerging unrefined fintech category, Ripple Labs, was one of the first to proactively build out a compliance risk program, Long said. Um, the problem is what they're agreeing to do. I don't know if I've ever talked about the, the Money Secrecy Act or the Bank Secrecy Act. That means anybody who's got any money with, with Ripple Labs, you might want to get it out. You, your details are not going to be secret once they implement all of the Bank Secrecy Act. And if that's the reason that a person uses a digital currency to retain their secrecy and to retain their currency rights without taxation, um, then you might want to get out of that particular quandary. I just thought I'd throw that out there. That seemed to be really kind of important to mention. I don't know. So I guess it was a mixed bag tonight, huh? Well, some good, some bad. Go ahead. And here's the thing that I just stumble over constantly is that the more and more and more we are dependent on these electronics that everybody seems to see as a a, a physical attachment to their body all the time now. Yeah. Um, you know, and now we've got all these digital currency companies and everything. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody really wanted to fuck up the world, all they really would have to do, Jan, is take out the power grids. Right. That's it. And 80% of the people in this country wouldn't know what the fuck to do. Mm -hmm. And my husband among them. Because, I mean, I constantly ask my husband if he's got that cell phone stuffed right up his ass. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm I go outside and I'm putting vegetables in net pots and stuff and of course, you know, I'm taking them out of the starting media and rinsing them off and in the net pots. I don't have my phone up my ass when I'm doing that. He's like, "Why well, texted you? You didn't answer me." I was fucking busy. Mhm. Mm but honest to god, all they would have to do is take out 
the power grids and it would seriously fuck up a lot of people. What would happen to all this, this virtual currency? Well, your virtual currency, very correct me if I'm wrong, with something like Bitcoin, that's actually stored on your hard drive, correct? Yeah. As long as you have your hard drive, you'll always have your digital currency. Well, it doesn't have to be your hard drive. In fact, you but, I mean, you can store it other places, copies, but, but yeah. you own that. You have yeah. it in a safe place once you've yeah, you but know, it's no extracted it. To run the interweaves, what fucking good is it? Well, it is no good, but I'm... Okay. That, okay, that's. I just thought maybe I was not. No, no, no. It is no good. But you know, um, well, you're, you're right. To, I mean, be, if you're talking about if doomsday castle whole, scenario yeah. here. Yeah, I mean, if the whole uh, if the whole internet went down. Uh, oh, and Michael Michael's asking me in chat what happens well. to my hydropon- hydroponics if the grid goes down. Um, this is why I have <laughs> solar. <panels>. Solar. <laughs> 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 that shit is solar, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's um, it's kind of weird. But yeah, I, I I can't say that digital currency is right or wrong, but I, I think alternative forms of currency are how people wind up being free of their government. In just about every way you're mandated to use a form of currency and that keeps you involved in the governmental system when you want to break away from all that stuff you're finding a way to be free and whether that's bartering or engaging in the gray market with people um all of that is a real act of freedom i don't know i don't guess there's too much else to say just uh, stay safe and be well. Look into the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, mm-hmm. Join CASA if you haven't. I don't know. Stay safe, you guys. We'll see you next week. Advert? Advert. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Good night, guys, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Take care. Be safe.